Tina, I can assure you one thing this morning is that this will be the best and the worst sermon you have ever heard in 2019. I just had to get that out. It was like in the back of my mind, I wrestled, do I say it, do I not? I like that joke, so I'm gonna use it the rest of the morning if I need to. Um, it's just a personal preference of mine. And, uh, but it's funny because as you start a new year, there's so many things as a pastor that you wanna talk about. I mean, there's so many things that are just kind of welling up in my soul as I think about our next year of ministry here at the Center Church. But I was reflecting over the fall and trying to wrestle through. And as a teaching team, we gathered together and said, what, is some of the most, what are some of the most important teachings and themes and ideas that the scripture has to say to us into 2019? And one of those was about sharks. Now, that may come as a surprise to you, and you've probably never heard a sermon series on sharks, and this will be my very first one as well. Uh, but you may remember back 1978, and if you weren't even alive back then or even a thought of conceiving back then, like, let me just transport you back to 1978. The movie Jaws came out, and everyone, if they haven't even seen the movie, you are familiar with probably the cover of the movie or the poster of the movie, but you're also probably familiar with the theme of the movie. And if you know it, you can sing it with me. Dun, 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 dun. And then everything bad happens, right, after that point. Uh, but it's so funny to me as you think about Jaws. What Jaws did was it started to rise up fear in ordinary people about shark attacks. I don't know if you noticed this, but even in the last decade, the rise of Shark Week on Discovery Channel and shark attacks seem, every time you hear the news in Australia, it's like, oh yeah, of course, another surfer got bit by a shark. Like, you just look back. Uh, back in about nine years ago, I had the opportunity to spend Christmas Day in Auckland, New Zealand. And not far from Auckland, New Zealand is this beautiful black sanded beach called Mirawai. Now, Mirawai, my buddies and I decided, hey, Christmas Day, we're all from America. We're going to skip the tree and all the festivities. We're going to go surf. So on Christmas Day, uh, back nine years ago, we went surfing on Mirawai Beach. What they failed to tell me is that Mirawai Beach is often known for having occasional shark sightings. And uh, I was not okay with that. We were already all the way to the beach and like on the board before that. Hey, by the way, I just want to let you know that it's like shock sightings everywhere. I'm like, oh, cool. This will be great. Then nothing can go wrong. Uh, 18-year-old boy from America gets eaten alive by a great white in New Zealand. Like that, that was going to be my headline. But I, every time I would hit a wave or kind of paddle out or I'm duck diving under a wave, I'm worried that I'm going to be that guy. Like, I'm going to see the shark. And my fears were validated because just three years after I was there, a, a film and photographer was out surfing on Mirawai Beach and actually got eaten by a shark. And that's pretty serious. Like, that, my fear was rational. But there's many people, if you've been swimming on an ocean or you've spent time in the South Pacific where, or South Africa where South, or shark sightings are a lot more popular and, and just more prevalent, you maybe have had that fear as well. Here's what I'm not afraid of though. I'm rarely ever afraid of selfies. Now there's one selfie I wanna show you because this is just totally stupid, um, but that looks like I would be afraid of that one, okay? I will say that. Like an ordinary selfie, like walk into the car with my wife or something, that's normal, but that is not normal. Um, but when you ask me, like, I think a lot more people are probably afraid of sharks than they are selfies. Would you agree? I mean, it just makes sense. Here's the statistics. So I want to show you this small graph to illustrate this. This is how many people die per year as a result of shark attacks, as opposed to selfies. 
idiot. <laughs> like, come on, who's, I'm not taking any more selfies for the rest of my life. Like that scares me too much. But when you think about like those irrational fears, I am way more afraid of a shark attack killing me than I am a selfie killing me. Now, if you take selfies on top of massive skyscrapers, you may deserve that. But as you think about it, I think a lot of us, when the public was polled back in 2015, almost every single person said, I'm way more afraid of dying from a shark attack than I am from dying from a selfie. Like that doesn't even compute in my in my brain. But here's what I think it communicates about human nature. And as we start into this new series, which will kind of frame the rest of what we talk about, is we often place fear in the wrong places. We often place fear in the wrong places. We place fear in shark attacks when we really should be more afraid of a selfie. We place fear in what our boss thinks when we really should care more about what our family thinks. We really place fear when it comes to social media about how are people viewing me? How does my body look? Am I tan enough? Am I thin enough? Am I wearing the right clothes or the right shoes? Rather than what God thinks of me. And we often have a tendency just in human nature to place fear in the wrong place. Probably many of us have used WebMD, WebMD or as soon as we come home from the, the doctor's office, we're like, I'm going to Google this and figure it out real quick so I know what I really have. Like, he's not telling me, so I'm going to figure it out. And we become fearful about what we have or a disease we might think we have. When it comes to social media, we fear more what people think than what God thinks. When it comes to our work, our career, we're way more concerned, like I said, with what a boss or employer, how they view us, as opposed to maybe how our spouse our kids view us. When it comes to relationships, some of us have a fear of intimacy or fear of relationships that causes us to run to other things. Whether it's a bad relationship or Tinder or pornography or whatever it is, we have a tendency to place fear in the wrong place. And fear is not just kind of a playground problem. It's not a, I'm afraid of the monsters under the bed. Fear affects almost all of us, sometimes on a daily basis. You've probably lived through seasons in which your life was gripped by fear. Maybe you're in one right now. Fear often creeps up in our life in the form of this word called anxiety. 40 million adults in the U.S. struggle and wrestle, and some are even on medication for anxiety. This, this constant fear, this constant worry, this constant creeping up that everything is not going to be okay. And I need to figure it out. And as suicide and depression rates rise, if you trace all of those things back, they simply boil down to that idea of fear. We often place fear in the wrong places. And the question I think is relevant as we start a brand new year is what if we could be free from fear? What if our lives no longer had to be gripped by the things they've always been gripped by? What if anxiety and depression and, and sadness and worry and loneliness and stress, what if those things didn't have to mark our lives anymore? What if there was a way to overcome fear? What if there was a way to be set free from the bondage of sin and temptation and fear, even in our own lives? And maybe you follow Jesus for decades or 30, 40 years. Maybe you followed him for seven days. Wherever you are at, you are going to have to wrestle with this question at some stage in your spiritual walk of how do I overcome fear? The Bible talks about it all the time. We went through the Christmas story just a couple weeks ago. And the thing that the angels constantly say when they show up is what? Do not be afraid. It's like every time they show up to a person, say, hey, don't be afraid. Like, don't, be, uh, don't have fear. Don't be gripped by fear. Don't have terror in your heart when you have this encounter. 
A similar encounter as you trace back before the Christmas story was ever penned. The story of Isaiah, this prophet, this man who in his middle age was called to be a prophet of God, to speak out against injustice, to, to call God's people back to righteous living, to align their lives with his will for them to ultimately be a, be a blessing to all of the nations. And yet they struggled and went back and forth, back and forth. But Isaiah has an encounter with fear. He has a moment with fear. He has a moment in which his life has the opportunity to really change. We get a glimpse into it in Isaiah 6. And so if you've got a Bible or a device or you know how to Google on your phone or whatever it is, or you got an iPad with you, turn to Isaiah 6. I want us to read this and follow along in the story together. I think it can teach us something today and for the year about how to overcome fear. It's probably not in the way that you and I think. Isaiah 6.1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's response here is not all that different from what every prophet in Israel's history, what every character in the, in the biblical story ends up facing, is that when they have a clear picture of God, when they really see him, they are struck with fear. They are overcome with this idea of terror or awe or wonder, and they just don't know what to do. And it, Isaiah's response, similar to many people who had encountered God in the Old Testament, is very similar. He says, woe to me, literally curses be upon me, death to me, I'm ruined, I am broken, I am empty. This revelation of God causes him to fear God, causes him to tremble in terror. But I don't know if you grew up in church or not, but how I grew up around Jesus and around God was not like that. I didn't have very many moments where I feared God or was in terror or in total awe and wonder. God to me was much more like a really nice white guy with long brown hair and a beard and liked to hold little sheep for some reason. Like that was my experience with God. Maybe you can, and not to be sacrilegious, but I have a hard time believing, believing that a guy from the Middle East looks like that. And it's a totally different perspective than I had. When I read Isaiah 6, it's hard for me to see myself in that story because my experience is more like that, like a really kind of cute God who's close and nice and but maybe can deal with my problems, but maybe not. It depends on how big they are. It's, he can, I can pray to him, I can sing about him, but can he really make a difference in my life? Do I fear him? Do I have reverence for that kind of God? And my answer for many years was no. That's not a relationship that I had when it came to Jesus himself. I just didn't view him that way. I didn't fear him. And Isaiah has this moment. And I think about, if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, whether you've read the books or you've seen the movies, or maybe you're not familiar with all at all, but Narnia, when we enter into the story, C.S. Lewis writes, 
is trapped in winter. It's trapped in, in cold and dark, and it's really a metaphor for sin. And the white witch is roaming freely among Narnia, but there's news that Aslan is on the move. This figure, this king, who is going to set Narnia free and going to make things right again. And four children are kind of teleported into this world of Narnia, and they're having this conversation. They run into a guy named Mr. Beaver. Now, C.S. Lewis is creative, but this one's pretty straightforward. It's a beaver, like Mr. Beaver and Mrs. Beaver. But they're in their home eating, and they're talking about this dilemma, this problem that the white witch has taken over, and Mr. Beaver speaks up and says, yeah, yeah, but Aslan's on the move. And one of them asks back, like, I want to meet this guy. Like, he sounds powerful. He sounds amazing. He sounds like he's a great person to know. Like, tell me more about him. Mr. Beaver kind of points back and says, actually, he's a lion. And this is the conversation we overhear, and I just want to read it back to you this morning. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Uh, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Isaiah has a very similar encounter with God. He's not necessarily safe and comfortable and, and as pretty as you may think he is, but he's good. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is powerful enough to be feared and can actually make a difference in your real life. See, a God who is nice and cute is, is great for some seasons of life, but when things are hard, I need a God that's powerful. I need a God who's outside of my circumstance. I need a God who I fear and can really make a difference in my everyday life. And here's what I think Isaiah catches, what C.S. Lewis is trying to point us to, and ultimately what the scripture writes about fear. It's this, that there's really only one right place to place our fear. And it's ultimately in God. There's only one right place. See, the key to overcoming fear is not just getting rid of fear. It's not just figuring out how do I eliminate every fear, every fearful situation from my soul. It's where do I place my fear? It's more about the object of our fear, just like worship. We worship. It matters who we worship. You can't not worship. You're worshiping something. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's your girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's just who you are as a person. But you worship something, and we choose where to direct that worship. And it's the same thing with fear. We choose where to place our fear. And biblical fear, the kind of fear that strikes up in Isaiah's heart, is being placed in God. It's placing fear and reverence and awe and wonder, saying, God, you are so holy and so sovereign and so different, so distinct in your character than I am. I fear you. We often place fear in the wrong place, but biblical fear is placing fear in the right place. Isaiah, as you track through the story of Isaiah, you see it again and again. You skip ahead to verse 41, chapter 41. It's a passage most of us are probably familiar with. Simply, Isaiah is saying to the people of Israel, do not fear. Do not be dismayed. I am with you. I will uphold you. You're safe. My righteous right hand will cover you. It will guide you. It will strengthen you. But Isaiah only has that revelation after Isaiah 6 after he has a proper fear of God. Once he recognizes who God really is, he realizes that his fear is in the wrong place. 
And he needs to place it back in the right place. Israel comes to terms with this as you go throughout the story of Isaiah. Isaiah 41, 14, God is speaking through Isaiah and, and acknowledging what the people of Israel think about themselves. He describes them as little Israel. It's kind of like a mocking term, like puny or wimpy Israel. He describes them as worms, like crawling around the dirt, small, insignificant, because in comparison to who God is, that is an accurate picture. Sure, we have value, yes, are we loved and have intrinsic value and dignity by the creator? Absolutely. But does that mean that we're on the same level as God? No. He is distinct. He is sovereign and holy. That kind of picture Isaiah grabs in, in chapter six evokes a holy fear out of him. And he responds accordingly. And so the real key, if you want to figure out how do we actually identify those fears, I would encourage you to do one thing. It's really simple because every one of us can identify with our fears. I would simply, maybe it's in a time of reflection. Maybe it's right during the service. Maybe it's when you're on your way home or as you're sitting in your living room tonight, like wherever it is, is simply to name what those fears are. It really starts there. If you cannot name your fear, you will never overcome your fear. And God can be trusted. Hear me. God can be trusted. If you name your fear, you're not giving victory or ownership or even a foothold. You are simply saying, God, here's what I want you to overcome in my life. You have to be laser specific about what is it. I know for me, real practically, some of the questions that bubble up in my life when it comes to fear are things like, am I going to be able to start a family? I have fear around that. Am I going to be able to provide for my family for the next 20, 30 years? Am I going to be okay? Is my family going to encounter some major medical emergency that I lose control? I can't control anymore. Those things cause fear in me. And yet I have to name them. I have to know what they are. I have to clearly identify them before I can ever surrender and trust them to a God who's worthy to be feared, who's worthy to be revered, who's worthy to carry a sense of awe and wonder. And when I think about the biblical writers, often they, they name it. David, throughout the Psalms, names what he's fearful of. The enemies, he even writes them down, what their names are, where they're from. Like He is so clear. Isaiah, throughout his prophecies, would name specific things that Israel was afraid of and ultimately had to place their fear back in God, place their fear in the right place. I think this is so relevant because uh, in our culture, just over the last couple of weeks, this movie came out on Netflix. Many of you may have seen it called Bird Box. And like in the first couple of days, it was like 7 million views. Like it exploded. And if you haven't seen it, it's terrifying. Okay. I just want to look, spoiler alert. Like it, it's creepy. Like don't watch it in the dark. Um, but the movie's fascinating to me. Here's why I think it's fascinating. And here's why I think our culture is so consumed by this and relates so clearly to this movie is because it's all about seeing your fear, seeing your worst fear, seeing your deepest emotion, your deepest point of sadness. And ultimately it drives many people in the movie to suicide. Because if we really had to face our fears front on or the things that terrify us the most, we would realize we are utterly powerless to change them. Here's what Bird Box does not say. We have a God who can make a real difference. We have a God who can handle our fears and ultimately help us overcome our fears. I hope that's good news to you. I hope that as you start a new year, you are encouraged 
by that, by that vision that Isaiah has, which leads him to a different life. And I don't know what your fears are today. I don't know the things that when you put your head on the pillow concern you the most. I don't know the things that make you get up early. I don't know what concerns you the most. I don't know the kind of the, the traps and the temptations that the enemy lays out for you in order to give in to your fear rather than give in to faith or give in to placing your fear in the right place. But here's what I know. God can be trusted. God is holy and God is good. He's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's the kind of God that can really make a difference in your real life. But you've got to be willing to name what those fears are. You've got to be willing to have the encounter Isaiah has of, woe to me, I am ruined, i.e., I am powerless. I am empty. I'm not self-sufficient. I'm God-sufficient, and I need him. And Isaiah's life changes. The course of Israel changes because of this simple truth. So often, all of us, even Christians, or maybe people exploring faith, we miss that simple truth. I want to read two verses to you that, that kind of frame what Isaiah is saying. I just want to read them over you. And as we prepare to kind of wrap up here, I just want you to hear the truth. Not just to say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I want you to hear the truth of scripture and I actually want to read them out loud together. So Psalm 1, uh, 111 verse 10 says this, and let's read it together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. The key to wisdom in your life is not another book. It's not even a trusted friend. The key to wisdom ultimately is the fear of the Lord. It's the reverence of God. It's having a clear picture of who he is and who you are in context of that. Let's read the next one from Proverbs 19.23. Let's read it together. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. You're like, uh, I've got trouble. <laughs> like, There's trouble in my life. Maybe there's discontent in your life. Maybe there's a lack of a full life in your life. Maybe there's days where you go by, you're like, did I even live that day? I felt like it was just on autopilot. If I looked back, I don't even know what I did. And yet the key to life here is the fear of the Lord. It's not getting rid of fear. It's placing your fear in the right place. And friends, I know too many people who live trapped by fear to not be honest with you is that your life will never be all that God wants it to be if you play nice with fear. That's hard for me to say because I've had to live through that as well. But you are never gonna experience the full life. John 10, 10, Jesus's desire for you is that you would have life and have it to the full, overflowing with abundance and blessing, all at, at every time aware of his goodness. That's the kind of life Jesus has, but you will never get there if you're content to have some fear in your life. You just won't. You'll miss out. You'll be afraid of the wrong things when really the only way to truly overcome fear is to place it in the right place, to fear God only, to serve him only, to surrender to a God who can actually make a difference in your real Monday to Saturday life. Because friends, this hour is really easy to fear God. Like when we're together, I've got no issues fearing God in my life. When we're worshiping and singing all the stuff we sang, God, you're 
glorious. You're so close. I'm breathing you in. You're Emmanuel. You're with me. And then Monday hits. I'm like, it's a little bit more difficult. But the truth is still the truth. That you will never be all that Jesus wants you to be if you play nice with fear. You have to fear him only. So what I want to do is um, as we transition and sing this next song, which we've sang before, for many of us, it's a familiar song. But I want to cast it in a different light. And I want to invite you just to close your eyes briefly, just to focus, not to do anything weird, but to close your eyes and to focus in on what God might be saying to you right now. And I wonder, as we look at this entire day, as we think about what we've sang and what we've heard and the story of Isaiah, I am aware that I don't know the specific challenges or obstacles or the fears that grip your life today. But as Isaiah recognized, and as many of us will come to recognize, we can trust a God who's worthy to be feared and he can help us overcome. And so I wonder before we sing, if there's a few people today who just say, yeah, that, that describes me. My fear is in the wrong place. And I need God's courage and his grace and his goodness to help me put it in the right place, to fully surrender those fears and those worries to him so that my life can be different, so that my life can be full. And so as we prepare to sing, I would invite you, because I want to pray specifically for you. If you know that's you, just to throw your hand up with no one looking around real quick so I can pray over you in this next moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So God, we just up front surrender our fear to you, knowing that you can be trusted, knowing that you're worthy, knowing that you are so distinct and unique from us, and yet we're made in your image so we can be victorious. We can be conquerors. We can overcome our fear. So God, I pray for those people, and I don't know the specifics, I don't know the challenges, but I know you. And so God, I ask that you'd break into those situations, that you would intervene, that you would bring life and wholeness where there is brokenness, where there is fear, and that your perfect love would fill their heart and drive out all fear. We love you and we trust you and our hope is in you. We pray it all in the strong and the powerful and the worthy name of Jesus, amen.